Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome to another special Hockey News podcast interview. I am here with Super Agent J.P. Barry of CAA Hockey. Clients, of course, include Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, and many others. First off, J.P., thanks for being here. Thank you, Ryan. Now, uh, I want to go back in the history books a little bit to your beginnings as a player agent. Uh, you signed on with IMG, which was run by Mike Barnett at the time. Uh, to begin with, what were those early days like for you, just learning the game? I was really lucky. I mean, I came out, I was working at the NHLPA for several years before that and um, on Bay Street as a labor lawyer, and I, I really wanted to get into hockey. And I guess while I was at the Players Association, Mike and I had developed a relationship, uh, as I did with a lot of the agents. And when I decided to leave, he, he gave me a phone call, and it was a really good company, obviously, at the time. He was you know, really strong in the business. and offered me the opportunity to sort of be his number two, which was which was a great opportunity. Excellent. What was it about the agency field that maybe you didn't know when you were going in? What were some of the surprises early on? Well, I think, you know, when you move from a, the sort of a law firm, law environment to a, a service business, I mean, it's a service business. And I think uh, probably the and the amount of hours, the amount of time it takes to, to do the job and uh, the, the travel involved. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, one of IMG's most Im important clients at the time was Wayne Gretzky, who was sort of nearing the end of his NHL career at that point. What was it like being sort of on the same team as number 99? Yeah, I, I, had to, I got the opportunity right there in the last couple of years and got to go to his retirement ceremony. But I also got to see in that sort of that last year that he was playing um, the relationship that he and Mike had. and. You know, how impactful he was in the business, not just, you know, on the ice, but off the ice, because at that time, I think, you know, he was, his career was taking off on the marketing side, still as strong as ever, and it continued, right? So you did learn a lot about that side of the business also. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Now, uh, another client from those IMGD, IMG days uh, was Yarmer Yager, who yeah. is actually still playing today <laughs> because uh, he will not quit. Yeah. But uh, I'm just curious, you know, Sort of behind the scenes, what do you remember about Yager and, and just what kind of guy he was? Oh, he's an incredible player. I mean, Yarmir is a character. He, you know, he would call with different kinds of questions and he had his own unique way of doing things. But, uh, but he was, you know, he, was, he communicated really well. And he, at that time, we had to go through some, actually some trades and new mm -hmm. contracts. So um, I dealt with him a lot through a difficult time when he went to... Uh, Washington, and then eventually we, we got him to New York. Mm. And are you surprised that he's still playing today, or is, is that does that make total sense? Yeah, it kind of makes some sense. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he, he was just, yeah, like, uh, whenever I went, to, I, I think when I knew, is when I went over to the Worlds a few times and saw in Czech how, you know, how important a player he is in the Czech Republic and um, his lifestyle there and, and, and then, you know, and being involved with the teams there, so I'm not surprised he's still playing. Oh, right yeah, on. Yeah. Um, now, your first clients officially were 
kind of a big deal, uh, the Sedin twins. What can you say about recruiting them and also that famous story of how they actually got drafted together by Vancouver? Yeah, that was, I was, it was really one of my first trips to Sweden where um, Klaus Alifalk, who works with us now also, he's our Swedish agent, so Klaus and I went up to, to meet the Sedins and, and to start developing that relationship. And they were already, I don't, people remember, they were MVPs of the Swedish league at age 17. So I think I first met them when they were 16 and they were moving into that big pro year and living in their own apartments already and they were very mature. But yeah, the, we spent a lot of time that year trying to figure out uh, their first request of me, which was JP, um, we'd like you to make sure that we get drafted together. <laughs> and I said, well, you guys are rated 1-2 in the draft. <laughs> this is going to be a little bit difficult. So, yeah, that was uh, that turned out to be a long sort of several-month process of trying to find a team that would work with us. And we did find uh, Vancouver and said they'd be willing to try and make it work. And I think we've all heard some of Brian Burke's stories, but it, it was, yeah, definitely complicated behind the scenes to make sure they got drafted together. Oh, right there. Yeah. Um, now, now you're CAA and you run that with Paprison. Can you talk a little bit about the chemistry that you and Pat have? I, you guys have a lot of marquee clients. How do you keep everything sort of going in a competitive industry and, and what's it like working with Pat? You know, I, we started our relationship in 2001 at IMG and then we moved to CAA and <coughs> I think it really works well as a partnership. We're both different. Um, we have some different strengths. Um, you know, I, I come from mostly a background with sort of some technical legal side, like the, a lot of the side on contract negotiations, but Pat's also worked his way through the business on the service side. So um, we both have sort of skills that I think uh, work for each other and we, it's been a really good partnership. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Now, when it comes to negotiations, I'm curious how analytics and the analytics movement has impacted things on the agency side because, I mean, there's arbitration hearings and I, I know you, you try to avoid those because they're not fun for anybody <laughs> involved, but just in general contract negotiations, how have analytics changed the game, if, if at all? They have. I mean, we're looking at them all the time, but as far as like analytics that are accepted inside, like for example, salary arbitration, mm -hmm. it's a fairly rigid system about what these arbitrators, you know, remember you have to persuade the arbitrators and a lot of them like to stay within the system of what they've had with the precedents. So, sure. you know, actually putting in um, accepted analytics into an arbitration environment is not so easy. I mean, we have a lot of contract, you know, a lot of statistics are in these briefs and, and are discussed, but. I would say new analytics take a while to be accepted and they haven't fully sort of come into the contract negotiation process. I mean, we're all bringing them up mm -hmm. and especially in, in free form negotiations, mm -hmm. I would say less in arbitration, but you know, they are persuasive pieces that we all need to look at and more and more they're, they're slipping their way into actual contract negotiations. Right. Now, that's interesting when you come to an independent arbitrator, are they still considering plus minus viable versus like if you come to them with Corsi or Fenwick, are they like, ah, I've never heard of that, but plus minus, he was minus 10 last year. Unfortunately, yes. Wow, that's really yeah. interesting. But plus minus is not is one of those stats that isn't given a lot of weight. 
Mm. Uh, it's argued by people, especially if it's in their favor, yeah. one way or the other, but it really isn't given a, a lot of weight in the uh, arbitration process. They have a, a line for it, I believe it, that it's a tricky stat, <laughs> which it is. That's very <laughs> true. Yeah, well, it's probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting back to clients, uh, and we were discussing this briefly before we came on, Yevgeny Malkin, you know, now he's established as one of the best NHLers mm -hmm. that we've seen. Um, still, you know, quite the force in the NHL. But I think a lot of people might forget that just getting him over from Russia, it was quite the story. I mean, it, it basically had all those sort of Cold War aspects to it where, I, I mean, it was, it was kind of a struggle. Yeah, it wasn't the Cold War, but it was the, uh, I guess it was an interesting time in Russia. It was the time when, uh, you know, all these companies and billionaires were, were blossoming and owning KHL teams. And, um, you know, the backdrop was that the NHL and the KHL were definitely not getting along. Mm. And they had gotten rid of all the transfer agreements. So this was when we first had to deal with how to get players out of Russia vis-a-vis -vis the transfer agreement. And the problem we had... Um, you know, we know that Ovechkin and uh, Malkin were in that same draft, but Ovechkin was ready to come over and didn't have a contract, and he came over immediately, whereas uh, Evgeny um, wanted to play one more year with, with his pro club, and that's sort of the, he had a big role there, and he was obviously still a little bit underdeveloped physically, so he went back for that year, and obviously he's such a terrific player, he's one of the best players in the league, and um, the problem was at the end of the year, the pro club did not want to give him up. So um, he had, they had actually sat in his home for two days until he signed a contract wow. that we had to have uh, legally terminated through the labor code. There was a special form in the labor code where you, we used that code and <laughs> we had it terminated and they made him sign another one and then we had to terminate that one. And finally he had called me and he just said uh, they were going to Finland and he said, would you come get me? I mean, this is wrong what they're doing. I, I need your help. Will you will you come, like come get me? Mm -hmm. so, okay. So we started planning, and we actually hired a, a, a group of people in in, in Finland, and um, we had a plan. And, uh, and the plan was when he arrived to the airport that uh, we would use our local Finnish connections and slide him down uh, a back set of stairs by the baggage and. Sure enough, the plan worked very well. He he arrived and even got his gear, and he slid down the back stairs into a into a van. And the, that's when the hard part began because we actually spent close to a week trying to get his visa, while the the team and probably the friends of the team were trying to find us in Helsinki. So we were I think we stayed in five different corporate condos because we couldn't stay in a hotel, wow. and we had to drive by the Russian embassy every day. Because uh, Embassy Row to go to the U.S. Embassy to try and find our visa, so oh, wow. and then uh, it was yeah, it was quite a week, and everyone was wondering where it was. And eventually, we got on a plane. Uh, after about a week, we got his visa with help in Pittsburgh, and and uh, yeah, I felt good about when the plane door shut and we were on the way to New York. I felt a lot better. <laughs> Indeed, I bet. Now, when you're talking about labor codes, were these Russian labor codes that you had to yeah. battle? Yeah. yeah. So that was a bit of a stack deck <laughs> right there too, <laughs> yeah. I would assume. <laughs> Yeah, the Russian labor code actually is pro-employee. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so that we were we were able to take advantage of uh, the Russian labor code at the time was dated from I think from the communist era. It's been over over I think it's been overhauled since then. Right. But, yeah, there were some interesting provisions where you you couldn't keep someone under contract. Uh, there's now a Malkin clause in it. Thing. It's sort of <laughs> a Malkin clause. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of codes, I was curious. 
you know, I mean, the player agent business is so competitive now and mm. guys get poached, guys do poaching. It's just part of the nature of the business. But is there, is there a code at all? Are there certain things that you just don't do to other agents? I mean, there's some people that do anything to get clients, but I mean, I think the people that are in the business at the highest end do try to operate by code as much as possible and communicate with each other when these, these kind of problems come up and give people a chance if there's things that need to be explained. So there, there's a lot of things behind the business where the, the top agents call each other about, about these issues. Mm, fair enough. Yeah. And there, I'm sure there's a lot of keeping score of who's got the most trophies and <laughs> who gets all that stuff. Yeah, we have all that. I mean, we have to, everyone has to market their business and yeah. their players are their strongest uh, assets to market, so. Yeah. And how much has the business side of representation blossomed in the past few years? It feels like a lot of agencies, it's not just about contracts, obviously, but you, you're building a brand for these players, I would assume. Yeah, you're, you're, well, the agency itself has to build the brand, and the, also the players individually all, are all moving towards building their own brand, and we're seeing that with players at the highest end. But I mean, the business of sports has grown so much. I mean, all you have to do is look at CAA. We joined them. Uh, we joined CAA in 2006 uh, with our the baseball division of IMG, the football division of IMG, and a few other people got together, and we, we all moved over based on our contracts at that time. And now, I think from the original meeting, there was about 15. They've built sort of a, a company that is close to, I think the CAA sports division now is close to 500 people in total. Um, almost every sport and, and a lot of people involved in the sort of the marketing and sales side of, uh, of sports. Oh, excellent. We have the curling news now, so if you need curling, <laughs> okay. we can cover that. Um, what's the wildest day of the year now for an agent? It's still that period of time from the draft through for agency. It's We have now, because of the salary cap and really the salary cap not really being announced often until sometime around the draft. We have to do so much business in the span of sometimes 10 days tops. So it seems like so much of the business is happening between you know, the draft and July 3rd. And is it just nonstop coffee and yeah, power naps? It's crazy. Usually like the last few years when we had a busy one, we just all went out to LA and our office has a hotel right beside it and we're just, yeah, we're just going all day long, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Perfect. And finally, obviously you believe in all of your clients, but I'm curious if there's one player you have now that you think was underrated uh, as they were coming up. I wouldn't say underrated, but, you know, um, two players, I'll, I'll talk about two players that, that dropped in the draft, I think sort of inexplicably for me, somewhere between, you know, around the interview time and the draft. And I thought both of them were just immensely skilled and could have gone anywhere from, you know, I felt number two to 10 tops. Uh, so Matthew Barzal and David Pasternak. Now, Pasternak can be explained a little bit. He had, had an injury that I think a few people were worried about, I think, and uh, he was playing in, in, you know, in Europe. and. He had a bit of a back injury and that, that helped sort of move him down. But I thought that teams made a big mistake on not taking Matthew Barzal. If they had looked at his body of work and his skill level, he was right there with McDavid from the age of 12, mm -hmm. wherever they went, you know, one in the West and one in Ontario. And I, I thought 
people, maybe that was the last year that they weren't just looking hard at skill. Mm -hmm. I think they were looking at other things still in the draft process, and some teams made a really big mistake. Yeah, well. Luckily for the Islanders and the Bruins, <laughs> they did their uh, research on those ones. Yeah. There you go. Well, thanks so much for this, JP. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Thank you very much.